0: Hello, Podcast on Fire listeners. This is Paul Fox, formerly of the East Screen, West Screen podcast, along with...
1: Oh, yeah, I'm Kevin Ma. Hey there.
0: Hey, it's been a while since we've been together. Uh, we're just here to kind of wish all the Podcast on Fire listeners a very happy holidays and, of course... Uh, the very gracious host who allows us to join into some of his programs, Mr. Kenny B. As well, we hope you're all, um, you know, just having a really great time during this 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 season. Uh, you know, it's a season to be happy, even though, uh, you know, things have been kind of crazy this year, especially for you over there in Hong Kong, Kevin. Um, thankfully, you've been, you know, keeping your head down and 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 staying safe and happy as well as much as you can, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are. Bit more normal than people think. Going, life goes on. Yes, there is a bit, quite a bit of turmoil. Um, but you know, life, life goes on, and we try to uh, keep our heads up every day uh, while we fight for the future of the city.
0: <laughs> Indeed, and I mean, for me, as somebody who loves talking about movies but also loves Hong Kong, it's, it's been kind of hard. I've got to admit because you see this kind of news going, and it's like, ah, do I really, you know. Is talking about movies really that important in the context of of everything that's going on? Especially living living so far away now and still having friends and family living in the midst of all that. But, you know, we're here to talk about the thing that the podcast on Fire Network gets us to come together for. And that really is, you know, talking about movies, East Screen movies and West Screen movies. And, you know, if you were going to recommend something for the listeners out there, something that really you know, just caught your eye, made you feel good or or something you really liked over the course of the year, Uh, what would that be, Kev?
1: Well, I don't know if it makes me feel good, but um, a film that I really want to recommend is a Taiwanese film called A Sun, uh, S-U-N, not S-O-N. Although I think it's intentionally made to sound like S-O-N. Um, it's a Taiwanese film by director Chung Mong Hong. It was the winner of this year's Golden Horse Award Best Film. Even though I know this year Golden Horse, um, they didn't because I, I know we don't we don't talk about politics here, but it was because of politics that Chinese film were not allowed to compete thus giving this uh, film a chance to win Best Picture. But it is a really great film. It's a a two-and-a-half-hour opus about a family in crisis, essentially. I don't want to give away too much, but one son is like the perfect model son who has a bright future, and the other one is kind of like a thug who's just gone to jail for, well, quite a serious assault case. And it's about this family that's trying to keep itself together amidst these these crises and um director Cho Mo Hong, you might have heard of him because he's quite a respected director in taiwan he last did a film called my god what was the godsend i think godspeed godspeed yeah that's the one with uh michael Hui as as a taxi driver uh on an unlucky adventure with a, with a gangster um this one's a bit it's a much more you know it's less of a crime film, more of a really family film, and I think it's really one of the great films of the year. Uh, Variety even calls it like a stunner, world cinema stunner. I think it's a film that hasn't played at many festivals. Played at Toronto, it played in um, Busan, it played in Taiwan, obviously played in Hong Kong, and it should be making its way around the festival circuit this coming year. And if not, it will come out on DVD in a couple of months. And I wholly recommend this film. I think it's one of the great films so of 2019.
0: All right, excellent. I think for myself, you know, there, there's a lot out there. I know a lot of people have been talking about Parasite as one of the big films of the year. I haven't gotten out to see that yet. Um, but for me, the one that I think made me the happiest this year was the China animated film production of NASA, which uh, I went into thinking, uh, am I really ready for kind of this modern take, this modern remake with this kind of emo-designed kid, um, which I really think kind of they pulled a little bit from the movie League of Gods a few years back and the, the portrayal there. But going against the the, the classic animated version, I, I was really hesitant going into this film, and it really run, won me over um, by leaps and bounds. I really came out loving it. I can't wait to watch it again. Um, It was as good as I think a lot of the critics said. I'm not surprised it was doing so well, just because, you know, it's very much in the vein of top level Pixar, top level DreamWorks style storytelling. Yeah, they are borrowing, you know, lots of plot elements and things, but there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think it shows the progression of the animation industry in China. Unfortunately, I don't think it's available anywhere. I keep looking at uh, China streaming platforms. It's not there yet. And I've not seen any kind of platform-level release for the States yet. We did get limited theatrical release here. But hopefully it'll hit, you know, some streaming platforms and Blu-ray and be available in the not-too-distant future. So if you're looking for something fun and family-friendly, you know, coming from china or coming from asia that you can sit down and watch with your kids um i think i think that's a i you know i took my seven-year-old and i think um she really enjoyed it she wouldn't mind watching it again and and i'd like to see it again too so that would be my pick for the year although you know i mean there's it's definitely been a solid year for some cinema coming out of different places like i said korea and other places as well Um, but i tend to gravitate towards the family friendly stuff because That's just how I roll. So, yeah, I hope everybody is out there having a very happy holiday. Of course, you know, we are here to wish uh, peace for Hong Kong and peace on Earth in general. And, you know, hope everybody can just uh, take some time to enjoy their families and enjoy the holiday spirit. Uh, Any final words from you, Kevin?
1: No, I mean, uh, happy holidays and happy new year. And uh, here's to more better films and more great films in 2020.
2: So
3: annual podcast on fire Christmas special and last two years we've done a trivia night but because I'm old and tired but I also had to get a new computer and the production up and running again Uh, this year I didn't have time so this this year me and my network pals sit down for our sort of patented uh, east-west show-and-tell show show where we talk of Whatever uh, eastern or western, uh, I don't know, cinematic experience we might have had during during this year. Maybe we we won't even discuss movies. Uh, Maybe we have some personal achievements to talk. Music, books, uh, whatever. The theme is open and the choices are open. And uh, I'm here in the middle as the curious one. Asking questions and uh, keeping the flow and cheer cheer going while sipping the Yulmust of it all. You want the Yulmust, are you? Yes, I am.
4: Good (laughs) lad's.
3: And, uh, but uh, regardless, my name is Ken B uh, let me introduce the crew that uh, graciously uh, showed up for this uh, end of year show and, uh, and because they could show up and take time out of their busy lives, they are the, my favorite people in the whole wide world yeah. Aww. Uh, and uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, so starting with uh, Todd Statman, uh, the multimedia man of podcasts and radio shows uh, radio shows that features good pop music and he's also the writer of his very own book trilogy, so indeed, hello and Merry Christmas, Todd.
5: Well, hello and happy holidays to you also, Ken. And to you, Paul and Tom. Oh, thanks,
4: man. Well, you, back to you're you. very welcome.
3: Back to you, oh, yeah, what? Okay, It's like 30-40 minutes, and to you. And to you, and to you as well. And you, and you. <laughs> you. Did I say you? I Good, I talk. You. No,
5: Good I, night, Todd. I, ex- I insist.
4: I
3: We'll get back to your writing endeavours and such in a bit, because I'm always curious, and uh, you've uh, you, you've done uh, quite a bit, uh, you've done quite a thing, Todd, but uh, we'll get back to you. Also here is the Korean cinema guru of the network, and he's also the Korean cinema guru in life. Uh, Paul Quinn is also with us, who has proven to be, uh, and this is sincere, uh, invaluable when it comes to programming the episodes of uh, What's Korean Cinema? Which, uh, you know, I, I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm happy, and proud, and amazed that a crappy joke on my behalf generated a show that also generated a Blu-ray disc, <laughs> and more, more. It's come long well, yeah, way. Totally. It's you come know. a long way. <laughs> and uh, so I'm making up forward. and upward. it's exactly. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, through your choices, uh, Paul, uh, you, you know, I, I can research and get an education on uh, cinema of uh, today and yesteryear over there in, there in Korea and I enjoyed that greatly and uh, as I said that working relationship led to me and Paul appearing on Blu-ray Disc and we'll talk of that later but hey Paul uh, you're also working on a book you're working on a book so is it appropriate to at least share conceptually what you have in the works?
6: Um, essentially I'm about 50% through and I've, I've been 50% through since the start of November and, you know, the, the London Korean Film Festival hits, you try and get stuff together before it, and you've got to cover it afterwards, and I'm tying up the loose ends. So I'm, I'm halfway through a book, and I'm not going to tell you the exact subject matter, but it's it's to do with women in Korean cinema. So, I mean, essentially, if you, if you think of the chats, we all have in our respective things. There is a, a perception of Korean cinema, certainly in the West, that's just plain wrong in terms of women in korean cinema and it's been annoying me for years and i decided to sit down and uh, set the record straight so this is the 100th anniversary of, of korean cinema the first film was released in 1919 it seemed to me you know to cover try and cover maybe 100 films for the 100 years so it's a bit involved and it was going great and and I actually feel like an utter failure at the minute because I'm just right. sitting looking at pages and thinking I haven't got any time to do that now. So it's it's coming, but it's slower yeah. than it should be.
5: You have but to be a little walk away.
6: You know, I know you've you've written a lot of stuff. Um, this is my first attempt, and uh-huh. you know, I've I've reviewed stuff for what twelve years now, and I can knock out a, a nearly two thousand word review in right. a day and a half, two days the books in a totally different matter i did not realize it was going to be so difficult um, yeah. so maybe that's just me being dumb and naive but yeah we're we're we're, we're getting there at least if i'm halfway i'm sort of halfway I yeah guess.
3: well i i still think you should go with uh, the title you initially posted which was a bumper book of korean film stuff <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah and the point, right. I, I, it's that thing i just there's a there's a a really knowledgeable girl who lives in London, Korean girl called Ginny Che. She wrote sort of the definitive book on new Korean cinema, you know, covering Bong Joon-ho and whatever, um, a few years back. And I deliberately didn't want to give away the title because I think she's quicker than me. And if she thinks it's a good idea, I'm scared to death she'll nick it and get a book out before I do. So I just did a Google search and find one of those stupid bumper book things and Photoshopped it to say, you know, Korean cinema. And uh, everybody seems to hate it apart from you. But, uh, you know. Well. <laughs> That's all that matters. Ken likes it. <laughs> yeah, Ken likes it. Nobody nobody else matters. He he is he is the podcast master.
4: Ken can get some quotes. He just do all the quotes for the book, all six, seven of them. Just splash them all over. Just Ken quotes. It's all you need. Yeah, will just... sell it to me, definitely.
6: Right, you and know, he can random random Ken pictures Borsen.
4: and cartoons. Yeah. Of <laughs> definitely, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, get Kenny that'd... B himself to do it as well. Right. It's really confuse people. It'd be great.
5: And you can use a different um, subtitle yeah, after I, each. You know, co-host Taiwan Noir, co-host. <laughs> he's got know, enough. What is <laughs> Korean cinema? You know, he's got enough. Yeah, so at least twenty five <laughs> for all of his entities.
4: <laughs> totally, totally. That that seem to be continually growing. I that Ken doesn't disagree. He's like, yes, yes, <laughs> I have that many titles. Yes,
3: I need to prop myself up somehow.
4: I just, I, th- I, think, I think, I think on the
6: back cover we should just have like a skull with a mohawk, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, depending when it, when it's finished, maybe a Christmas hat.
4: That sounds pretty good. <laughs> I was thinking about Ken recreating Burt Reynolds' Playgirl photo shoot from the seventies. <laughs> Probably less hair would be good, but yeah, I think even would be nice. Yeah. Maybe we're getting a little too Ken, personal could you just, here. Ken, just, just send me that anyway if you've got time. I just, I would like to see that anyway. I mean, regardless of the book, I'm just going to put that out there.
3: Let me just say, I was once ginger, and you, that that simply doesn't work when in terms of exposing Go yourself.
6: Match the drape. Oh. <laughs> you never said anything about exposing yourself.
3: Wasn't that what Bertha Reynolds did in that damn damn photo? Wasn't that a nude shoot or something? Paul? Well, he meant
5: exposing oh. yourself to new experiences.
4: That's what I'm exactly I am Exactly what I mean. Yeah. Exactly Opening yourself. She's been clearing that
3: up. I'm being peer pressured into taking my clothes off or something here.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's like high school all over again. <laughs> Called bullying hotline. <laughs>
3: uh, so that's Paul's introduction. And also, Tom is here.
4: I like. I really like how you did that in order of importance, professionalism, timekeeping, hey. everything. It was great. no, Can I Tom, no, no, it, no, really no, no, no. I man, worked thanks.
3: on that introduction for you, Tom. <laughs> Give me a little credit. <laughs> Tom all all is needs here.
4: To be said, right? That's all that needs to be said, right? Hello, everyone.
3: In all seriousness, I'm very happy this year because uh, you you are quite busy that you and I got uh, the director series back uh, up and running. And uh, we've started a new a new series on um, on a couple of filmmakers, and uh, so the the work has been uh, ongoing and is ongoing. So uh, that's uh, always uh, that always makes me merry that uh, we can get uh, our sort of production wheels going going again. So
4: me too, man. Yeah, really glad we kind of uh, you know picked up where we left off and have um, started it up again. I think we've got some good stuff in the pipeline for twenty twenty. So I'm looking forward to doing it, dude.
3: And uh, there, there might be a mention or two of uh, upcoming shows in this uh, sort of east-west uh, show and tell. Uh, but uh, let's. Uh, d- d- this is hardly structured. Yeah, yeah, it is structured. I suppose I should go in the same order as uh, did in the introductions here. But uh, I'm always curious, uh, having followed uh, your uh, book e- developments uh, as a uh, you know as a writer, putting out one book, two books, three books, Todd. So. We, we we might as well uh, like go back to you know the basic and nitty gritty of it all for people who do not know. You have put out a book trilogy. So what you know what are those books called and what what's the sort of shared factor between them? Is it theme or do is it a complete story? Those three books.
5: No, it's not a serialized story. It's just you know one book and two sequels featuring the same characters, and I've called it the SF punk. Trilogy and in keeping with that, the books are set in the early days of the SF punk scene, and the protagonists are a tight knit group of teenage punk rockers who get into all kinds of shenanigans, you know. Um But but usually, have you read them,
3: Ken? I read I read, I read the know. first one. Uh, please don't be waiting for me. I read that.
5: Okay, but they're they're pretty violent and dark. So I mean, I started out. The first one was intended to be a young adult novel, but with the, the um, sequels, I kind of went off the rails a little. So those are not young adults. Those are adult, adult books. But, um, you know, I intended the first one just to be a one-off. People seemed to like it, and they really liked the characters and identified with them. And I did, too. So I was like, what the hell, I'll do a, I'll do a couple more. And it was fun. And now it's done. And now I have to figure out what the hell else to do with my life.
3: Let's uh, uh, be, before I give uh, before I uh, do some questions because I have them. Uh, throw out the, the other two titles that completes uh, the trilogy so people can look them up.
5: The second book is called "So Good It's Bad," and the last one is called "Never Divided." Hmm. And you can buy them on on Amazon. You know, if you want to break some more, um, I don't know how how ill effect it has on the warehouse workers at Amazon. This is their print-on-demand service. But if you just just Google my, if you put my name in Amazon, it'll bring up all the novels and Funky Bollywood and my solo albums from about a million years ago. So you can have the whole Todd Statman experience.
3: That's a Christmas stocking and a half, that one. Sounds yeah.
5: amazing. Oh, it is amazing. That's at least uh, a pair of tights. <laughs> um, and also the books are also, if you're someone who loathes the touch of paper, um, you can get all books, <laughs> all the books as ebooks. and that's considerably less expensive. There's nice.
4: That. Yeah. That was good. I was a yeah. good sales
5: pitch. You saw, you saw me
4: on it, Bud. For well, sure. you know,
5: my brain's default mode is self promotion, so <laughs> stream, stream <laughs> I it should be. Yeah, I
3: could tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did read the first. Uh, please don't be waiting for me. And uh, you know, I, I, I kid, but uh, that I have ba- barely have any reading comprehension. I obviously do, but I am quite an impatient reader. I can't sit down for ah. very long be- before getting antsy. So I, I really had to. You know structure my reading time with uh, that book and any book uh, you, you know set my phone to fifteen minutes and you know you, you read fifteen minutes uh, every other night or every night, and that's it and uh, but, but I really enjoyed it uh, I enjoyed like the murder mystery in that setting of uh, you know uh, these uh, teenagers uh, it's or, funny
5: because most people remark upon the how brisk of a read they are because i'm an imp- i'm an impatient include too much detail my chapters tend to be short and they just go it's almost someone says it's almost like a film script where each chapter mm. is one scene so you know so i think it's a good like airplane read you have right. kind of things like a lot of people say i read it in one sitting except for you Ken.
3: Yeah, so. well, well, I go through it, and uh, I was involved in the murder mystery, and uh, I do remember that uh, like the, the finale was quite exciting, and intense. Uh, so you didn't put it down uh, when you were down to the last, you know, thirty, forty, or whatever. So uh,
4: right, it's a it's a cruise ship read for Ken, <laughs> right around exactly. the Med cruise ship <laughs> read for Ken. Yeah, yeah, your next trip to the Bahamas.
5: <laughs> yeah, with my
3: ginger skin and all, that's going to work out.
5: <laughs> <and then. laughs> yeah, while well, you're tanning on the deck.
3: Is there an option to never leave your cabin at all? (laughs) They'd probably
5: send someone down to check on you.
3: (laughs) Like like lights out and uh, lock the cabin from inside. (laughs) I'm on holiday.
5: The passenger in room 17 hasn't been out for three days. Is there a (laughs) smell emanating from the room? It's a
3: foul smell (laughs) emanating from As long as I can pee and poo out of the porthole, then, then I'm all good. (laughs)
4: <laughs> i'm sure you just yeah. pick look, a, bit, a piece of the the flooring up and you just do it into the sea don't you that's how they work i've seen titanic i'm sure that's how it that's how it, that's yeah, how it exactly. crashed, you they, know. they
3: leave tools with you to get that job done of course so. yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> there was just too many peeing and pooing on the titanic that's how it you know <laughs> yeah sunk. It, yeah it capsized because just taking heat. bits of the bottom off just kind of you know going straight through
3: were, were all the titles in, in that trilogy based on uh, lyrics from, uh, from songs? I know the first one uh, was.
5: Never Divided is kind of a reference to the Sham 69 song, if the kids are united. Because right. I wanted to have the last book, have the title have a little more positive spin to it. To send people off with a, a smile on their face.
3: Is that difficult when you've sort of half decided that one book in one story, that's where I put the sort of period on, on, of it all. Is it difficult to pick up that thread again, or did, or did it come naturally to you to expand the adventures? It
5: came very naturally. It was almost like the story was... This sounds so preposterous, but it was almost like the story wanted wanted to be told, you know. Um, and the the characters became i had the characters in my mind so i just kind of you know I, I i have their behavior patterns and speech patterns in my head so it's very easy to write them and it's, it pretty much flows you know because you know not only did i make up the characters but then i got a lot of feedback from people about the characters and what they liked about them what they not so basically the novels are crowdsourced is what i'm saying but um yeah, I, I had a surprisingly easy time doing that.
3: Which is an interesting experience to look back on, uh, you know, in terms of uh, pursuing further. Because I don't know how you felt before, and do I have one in me? Well, only only way to find out is to try, and then boom.
5: Well, I, I think I... I found I found the right subject in writing about that time, because I have a lot of really vivid memories of that time. So that kind of mm. guided, you mm-hmm. know what i wrote the places i wanted to write about you know i'm not sure if i got everything in there but i got a lot of it in there
3: it, it seemed like a busy scene indeed because the characters all always in the first book always seemed to go to a new club each time they went out to see a concert there was always
5: that was what it was like in the very early days of the san francisco scene it was amazing it was a it was a very good time to be young and alive you could uh You know, it was cheap to live there, which people who live in San Francisco would not believe. It was cheap to live there. You could go to a different club every night, see great bands. Uh, There were a lot of great bars and just hangs. Um, So, I mean, I did. I went out almost every night those first few years that I lived there. I'd go to the Mab. I'd go to the Deaf Club. I'd go to Barrington Hall over in Berkeley. There were a lot of venues. Um, of different qualities and a lot of really good bands. So it's true. It's all true, <laughs> Ex- except the made up part. All the killing—that's made up. <laughs>
3: Is any of that preserved? Uh, how did the city treat those uh, clubs, or that, or they were torn down eventually?
5: Well, the Mabuhay or the Mabu. Yeah, the Mabuhay. My wife is Filipino, so she always corrects my pronunciation of that. The <laughs> Mabuhay, the building is still there. But it's now and actually they made, they left the inside pretty much untouched. There's still a stage where it used to be, but it's now called fame and it's sort of a I don't know what it is. It's more of a you know I don't know if it's a karaoke bar or what, but it tends to I think it appeals to you know, the after work crowd more. Mm. But the on Broadway, which is right next door, the facade is exactly the same
4: and the sign is there. I thought you of those, say it was a Starbucks now, which should be very disappointing.
5: Right. No, it's not. <laughs> um Yeah, and then a lot of the other clubs, I mean the Savoy Tivoli is still there. They don't I mean a lot of the clubs that are still there don't do punk shows anymore. And of course Gilman Street is still going strong over in Berkeley. So Club. But a lot of the other clubs I mentioned were not, are, no, are no longer there.
3: Well, Vivid Memories uh, still is a very nice yeah. thing to have Yes, you, know, you can sort of immortalize that even though it was in fiction, uh, fictional form, uh, so to say. So that's very cool.
4: That was the idea. So a lot of it's semi-autobiographical, would you say?
5: I'll say that there are a lot of incidents that happened to me that I put into oh. the book. But as far as people go the main character's named Scott, and people go, that must be you, and it's not. I mean, the characters are all composites of Uh. different people, and I'd say, you know, I'm not as um, physically fearless as Scott is. You know, I didn't get beaten up as much as he does. He gets beaten up a lot. Uh, Obviously, there's some of me in him, but there's some Mm. of other people too. So I don't
4: know. Is that a cop-out? But, you know. No, no that no. makes sense. It makes sense, okay.
3: <laughs> Tom wants the real scoop on everything, and then go to the police uh,
4: hard <laughs> copy, yeah, <laughs> you will be on sixty minutes next week, Todd. oh dear, okay. It came
3: out sure. of this c grade podcast this scoop oh, oh I have to from. make
5: I just have to make sure I wake That's up right. in time. <laughs>
3: Well, uh, excellent, and uh, I'll be sure to complete my uh, my SF Punk trilogy uh, eventually. I, I'm I have a stack of... I, I've been better at you know, you know being a more diligent reader lately. Like I, I I've tried to get through my li- limited library uh, a bit more this year, uh, mixing it with audiobooks, because again I can absorb that a little bit better. But I still have right. some physical books like Funky Ball. What I have I have that here and a couple of other things uh, too. So, uh, uh, like this year, like for for the first time I've. I've started listening to, uh, and it's not too late, I suppose. Uh, started listening to some of the early works of Stephen King and all of that. So, uh, because I've, I've never had the patience to read that, regardless if you wrote it or wrote uh, Carrie. You know, talking of a very short book and a very long book, a- audiobook still suits me. And I mean, me, for heaven's sake, if you get Sissy Spacek to read Carrie, I'll oh, listen to that yeah, any that day of the
4: week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: Who played her in the re Oh it was Chloe Grace Moretz. I don't think I'd like her to read it, but maybe. Um, I'm I'm thinking of doing audiobooks of, of the punk trilogy, but I'm not sure if there's a venue for it, like, you know, where you to do DIY audiobooks and sell them, but it would be fun.
3: But but by this point, because you've written three books, by this point, Stephen Fry is going to pick up the phone.
5: Yeah, he's not doing anything. I love that. I was thinking Ian McKellen. Oh,
3: that's excellent. A lot of gravitas. We'll have a Shakespearean touch to it all.
5: Yes, sure. The Avengers were on
2: stage.
3: That that, that that would be unexpected but rather enthralling at the same time yeah. like, uh, I can't stop yeah. listening to this it doesn't fit but I can't stop listening <laughs> it's the voice of God uh, excellent excellent well I'm very happy that, that you uh, that, that you pursued uh, that work and uh, completed the trilogy and uh, you have said to yourself kind of that I'm not done and I'm going to pursue something else and uh, whatever that is Let's, yeah, uh, let's uh, share share it with the group when uh, when um, when the time is right. So.
5: Okay,
0: Definitely. I will. There is something I'll be
5: the next thing I do, I'm doing. I have to do a some kind of a, a fundraising thing for because um, I'm talking to Fab Press. It's going to be another film book because I wanted to, you know, after I finished Funky Ball, it was like, oh, you're going to do a book about '80s movies, Indian movie. You know, I was assuming my next book was going to be about Bollywood. So I wanted to break the mold. You know, I wanted to just show that I could do something else. And I've done that
3: now. Yeah, I don't know if um, sometimes you want to... like, like Because for, for Funky Bollywood, you, you picked your spots. So to say, this is the era, this is the genres. And there really shouldn't be an expectation. Well, there should be a continuation to that, right? Because there are years after the years you covered. But no, right. I, I picked. I picked a particular sort of genre and uh, set of years and uh, that's enough uh, for for a complete picture.
5: Well, to be honest, that's what I knew the most about because I had watched so many of those movies, you know, and I wouldn't feel equipped to write a general book about Bollywood. Just like I'm going to write a book about American cinema. You know, I haven't seen very vague. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Next up, Terrence
2: Malick. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
5: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just, I think I've always, you know, chose to really, really focus my attention, mm-hmm. you know. So, because I, you know, I don't want to bite off more than I can chew and I don't want people, you know, right. I get, very, you know, I get very little hate mail on the internet, which is surprising. <laughs> That's yeah, That's good.
4: That's yeah, I get right.
5: Yeah, I mean, I've gotten a few. I mean, my favorite was from the <laughs> the woman who 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 criticized my knowledge about Mongolian cinema, oh, and I my. said, "Well, luckily for you, you have uh, all those other blogs that write about Mongolian cinema to
4: read, you know." But that was about it. It's all and, I hear: Mongolian cinema, this, Mongolian <laughs> cinema,
5: that. Yeah, right, I right. know. Just chill out. Let, guy. let yeah. it go. Yeah, oh. exactly.
3: Let's uh, move over a little bit to Paul. Uh, we 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 we've, uh, we probably have a shared sort of so show and tell, Paul, so in terms of our Blu-ray disc participation. So let, let, let's put that Who on the back burner a little <laughs> bit, um, because I I kind of want to ask. I'm most curious about uh, your perception of the the year that was uh, in the, in Korean cinema, and and I I guess the basic question is, without spoiling it, does Parasite deserved the hype that it has gotten.
6: Okay, two things. Whenever we got together and started messaging about this and decided it was a show and tell, obviously it's it's 2019. It's the 100th anniversary of Korean cinema and Parasite has arrived. And I immediately thought that's the only thing I can do i can't do anything else and i immediately got the fear that somebody else was going to see it, it as so big that they'd do it too um so i'm i'm glad you know it's obvious that it's parasite i'm going to talk about and does it live up to the hype yeah it exceeds it
3: and and then before you go on i have a i have another question i'm delight delighted and again I'm gonna keep it away from like talking of the movie. I haven't seen it, but it's one I I, I treat it the same way you do, Paul. That I'm, I'm keeping away from movie talking plot specifics because I feel like there's probably something special there, there, and it's gonna be fun going into it blank, only knowing that uh, Song Kang Ho is in it. It's a Bong Joon Ho film, and that's that's all I need.
6: That's all you're allowed. I'm I'm telling you here and now. You and, know, and I'm my, not
3: reaching my... for anything else.
6: My review, you know, usually in, in a review of a film, I'll give you a brief synopsis. You know, you know that's what you do. A couple of hundred words, not giving much away at all or it, not giving anything away, but giving you a basic premise with with Parasite. My synopsis covered the first three minutes of the film because you take it any further, you ruin it. Everything from the very start is linked to everything else. It's so intricate. It's unbelievable, but it's it's blindly easy to follow. It's just, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah.
3: And the question I have that, that has following its, uh, not development, but its release pattern and how much of a hit it was in America, you know, may, maybe it's not easy to answer why it was a hit in America, because I didn't get the sense that they rolled out a campaign that just hit the host and just hit Snow Pearson, Piercer, and managed to get audiences on board because of that. This seemed like either Bong Joon Ho is more established in America by name than I, than I than than I've ever realized, or there was simply a big piece of you know goodwill from elsewhere that just trickled into America naturally, and audiences came flooding because. Did, it's supposed to be a good Korean film or was it, as a matter of fact, a big promotional campaign that was laced? No, not,
6: not, not particularly. not it's become a big promotional thing as it's become more successful in, internationally. But, you know, Cannes has an awful lot to do with this and, right. it, and it winning the Palme d'Or. I'm going to blow my own trumpet, I have to. Um, because of Parasite, I got to do my first television studio interview thing where really? they wanted... They wanted me to go and talk about Parasite. And I sat down with the, the producer beforehand in a, funnily enough, in a Starbucks that was probably used to be a venue of some sort. Um, <laughs> right. And, yeah. and uh, you know, he said, right, well, we'll, we'll start with the synopsis and then we'll script it all through. And I was like, no, we won't. Right. And, you know, I, I even argued that they shouldn't show the trailer because I think the trailer gives too much away as well.
3: Look at Paul, by the way, dictating what producers do every day. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm the producer.
6: You know, um, uh, fair enough, but I, I actually blame you. Um okay. Because, it, it. you know, I'd never I'd never done anything like that before and I have a problem with l- looking in the mirror, never mind seeing myself in fucking HD. Um, but um I assumed it would be a lot different to other things I'd done, and it wasn't. It was just like a podcast with... Mm-hmm. Strangers standing around. So, you know, you doing what you do made that very easy for me. Long story short, they asked me about the film, about the accolades, and they wanted to know exactly what you wanted to know. And my take was this Parasite ticks every box you could possibly think of. It won the Pam door because it's partly art house, because it's serious, it's got social commentary in it, but it also hits the people who like their popcorn movies, because it's funny. It's so witty, as Bong joon Ho stuff funny. is. And it's thrilling, you know? It, 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 there's a lot of violence in it as the film progresses. So, you know, it essentially it, it's appealed to the Pam d'Or art house. You know, I only like yeah. art house people. But whereas mm-hmm. all other Korean films that would appeal to them wouldn't appeal to the public, it appeals to Joe, normal as well because it's just yeah. such an entertaining big film. So it's big and small at the same time. I've never seen anything that I couldn't categorize as much as Parasite, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, I'll guarantee you that's why it's successful. Yeah. And as, it's, as, it, as it was released in North America and it started to clock up the millions, uh, more people look into it, more people look into yeah. it. You know, on a very simple note, my sister knows I write about Korean cinema, she knows I'm obsessed with Korean cinema. She has always refused to watch a Korean film. She will not do it. I (laughs) I think in the
5: case of the United States, uh, as far as Parasite was concerned, it was one of those rare cases where the critics actually made a difference. I mean, because I remember, like, the the reviews were so overwhelmingly positive that I was like, there's no way I'm... You know, because also I'm a fan of Boon Jung-ho, so it was like... There's no way I'm not seeing this movie. And also in America, there's always that, that foreign movie that everybody goes to. You know, I remember one year it was uh, the Tindrum and, you know, where all the people go, you know, uh, you know where, where straight, you know, non art house people go and go, I went to see a foreign film. You know, we yeah, yeah, saw yeah. that, you know, and it was this year it was that film. You know,
6: totally. totally. Yeah, definitely. you know, and I, and I mean, the the awareness of Korean cinema has always been, you know, that's why I do what I do. The awareness internationally has always been a fight to try and get people yeah. in, into it, you know, and over the years, it's, it's become a more popular Park chanuk has got an awful lot to do with that. Yes. But, you know, if, if you look at when Memories of Murder, it had a theatrical release in uh-huh. the States. It was the most successful Korean film of the time in Korea. It right. made, f- made $15,000 in the US. That's all, you know, Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The host made almost a million, you know, uh, The Handmaiden made two million. And, you know, as of the start of this month, Parasites made $18.4 million. Wow. Christ in the US. Christ and overall, is. world worldwide, it's made. Over 100 million, you know, 70 million in Korea itself. So, wow.
3: and I guess that is the answer that uh, you know, m- movies do get as far as getting the cinema release, getting the critics' buzz, but it actually reached a lo- larger audience the, totally. the, for once. I mean, I'm sure The Handmaiden, what was, you know, critics were buzzing even in. In North America and so forth, but it didn't reach out as such. Yeah, yes, it's more of an adult film, obviously, but 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 I don't know if Parasite is R rated in America or not. So uh, I can't say. I,
6: I, I'm not. I'm not honestly sure. I would imagine just from ass- assumption that it it probably is. I, I think mean, it is. You yeah. know, it, it 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 is quite intense, both in terms of theme and visuals and stuff. Yeah, and,
3: and and really clearly, not knowing anything, and I'm not even going to look up anything until I get my hands on something physical or something digital. But clearly, it was it, the the answer is now that it isn't too much of a local film either. It's not. Mm. It, it, yeah, I'm sure it's connected to Korea and have, has Korea centric themes, but if it was totally meant for Korean local audiences only they wouldn't have rolled it out like they did and they wouldn't have gotten this uh, train going as well as they did so clearly it plays well to a world audience and not just the art house crowd. Good
4: films tend to just transcend the you know if they're the kind of country that they're from transcend any kind of trappings that you know are to do with that country or kind of concern that country if they're a good film they kind of rise above that and appeal to you know everyone I think
0: you don't really have
4: to have be from a country to obviously enjoy a film. I think that's, you know, it's common sense, but I think sometimes if a film deals a lot with say, you know, cultural kind of issues going on in the country or, um, social issues, I think if there's a great plot there or kind of, you know, the ingredients of a good film, it does just kind of transcend it becomes completely universal.
6: I, I, I totally agree. I mean, me too. the, the, the actress in Parasite, Park Sedan, who, you know, she's skyrocketed. She, she's, was a big thing in in a film called The Priests, which was sort of like an exorcism movie, but it was just magnificently done and she was astonishing. But she's mm-hmm. in Parasite and she when it was released in the States, she actually went to do promotion and she was convinced that nobody would get the cultural sort of things in it. So she went to see the film in you know in a US cinema with a US audience. And she came out at the end and she said she'd realized that the themes were universal because everybody got every part Mm. of it. And Mm. I think that's quite rare, even for Korean cinema as well.
5: Yeah, I just hmm. hope this all doesn't lead to, like, Paramount recruiting Park Chan-wook to direct a Jason Statham movie or something. I hope you
4: know? so. Oh, really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or That's, The Rock. He hasn't, directed yet. he hasn't directed topless men fighting in oil yet, so I kind of want oh, okay. him you know, to right. get all his right. belt at the ice. Well, you know,
6: <laughs> I, I, I I do agree, but since I'll never, ever forgive Kim Ji-won for doing The Last Stand with Schwarzenegger... Oh. Um, Oh, uh, will, yeah, uh, um, I'll, I'll give Park chan and Bong Joon-ho a little bit of leeway. I think you know okay. they're on a, they're on a short leash, man. Yeah, yeah. You know,
3: and, <laughs> and you know, and I guess when po- when Bong Joon-ho did his semi international movie, it was uh, I, because I haven't seen Snowpiercer, so I don't know how people view it. In terms of uh, uh, was if if that is considered a good Bong Joon Ho movie, but I guess that was the best of uh, like both worlds. Uh, like Bong Joon Ho is not out on like, being given a generic movie or anything. It's still a Korean movie, English yeah. language movie. Got big stars and uh, but also the big Korean stars, and it all merged. Uh, you know, pe- pe- people seem to appreciate the merger. Yeah, I totally.
5: Snowpiercer was a really good action movie, and that it was smart at the
6: same time. Exactly. I, yeah. Out of all the the Korean directors that have done U.S. stuff, you know, it's easily the best. I hated Stoker. I absolutely loathed it. And as I said, The Last Stand. But Snowpiercer was cool. I you know I quite liked Okja as well, which he did with Netflix. Even though Jake Gyllenhaal's character is the most Obnoxiously annoying, you will ever see. <laughs> I haven't seen that one
3: yet. That's um, even as satire it was kind of grating. His uh, what was it? he was a, a host of an animal program of sorts, and he was very high pitched, and, and his dialogue was quite piercing, Na-
6: nas- nastily over the top. It was just. Ugh. But apart from that, it's you know it's it's an okay film, and you know Kilda Swinton's all, in a lot of his international stuff, and she's mm. always great. So yeah,
3: and and if anyone um, is interested in uh, movies that Bong Joon Ho movies that might have flown under the radar a little bit, because Paul introduced it to me where we, we did a bonus show on Korean short movies. Bong Joon-ho did a wonderful short movie called Shaking Tokyo which was uh, uh, made in Japanese with a Japanese cast and it, it was sort of qu- quintessential Bong Joon-ho and it was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. It's uh, very silly, thought-provoking
4: and... Uh, oh, was that the compilation? The, yes. The three for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Gondry did one of them as, as yes, well. Go, or, yes. Or, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard uh, I think it's just it,
6: it, the whole thing's called just called Tokyo, isn't it? Yes. So mm. oh, I saw that. Which one was his?
3: Shaking Tokyo was his. Mm. It, it, it was was uh, about a guy who uh, chose to uh, stay in his apartment all day, all day long, every day. he was a, a hermit of oh. sorts, and he needed to go outside for a particular reason. Oh, Kendall Okay, I
5: remember that. That was good. Um, I re- mainly I remember that the short about um, was Steven Seagal's daughter turns into a chair. I think that was the what? Michelle Gondry one. Or, yeah, this I think is so. I think so. Tokyo yeah. exclamation point, right? Yeah. What?
3: It sounds Steven plausible. Seagal's it sounds it. plausible.
5: Uh, I just go up on my list. maybe I dreamed it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, or <What>? okay. yes. <laughs> let, let's <laughs> go <Google> that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm very confused and intrigued. <laughs> well,
3: you know, on the flip side, St- Steven Seagal's daughter is in uh, those uh, '90s camera movies.
4: Right. It's her. Yeah. 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 Stephen Skull's doors turn his chairs. Clint Eastwood's talking to chairs. Uh, it's a confusing <laughs> world we're living in.
3: Yeah. Get off my lawn chair. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> Poor Clint. That that was a long time ago when he talked to the chair. He's probably moved on. He's probably it's still talking. in my heart, he though. It's still, yeah. it still holds yeah, a place he in my heart. can't live that down. I, I understand. <laughs> you feel lucky? The chair. <laughs> the chair whisper.
2: Yeah,
3: <laughs> Tom. What have you been doing this year? Do you even have time oh, to watch movies? Everyone now, <laughs> <laughs> you you, like, you you you've taken on um a, a line of job that sort of means that you work through the nights and, uh, hours days and, and long
4: nights, man. Yeah. So sure. do you even so, have
3: time to do anything besides work nowadays?
4: <laughs> uh, not really. No, there wasn't a lot besides just working, but um. Yeah, I've seen a couple of things this year, but yeah, uh, another kind of uh year of of change for me. It seems to be kind of a a constant in my life. But uh yeah, I've been settled or so in uh, in a decent job for the last six months. But again, yeah, like you said, not a lot not a lot of time really, to be honest.
3: But but what but what do you choose to focus on uh, therefore? Like uh, do do you stick to like I'm um, uh, Asian cinema is gonna have to wait, I'll just keep to western movie, superhero the irishman whatever or what do you choose to sort of uh well, focus
4: yeah on? i mean kind of whatever kind of pops up really in terms of um feel like i want to see i think i stopped kind of making a big list of things i want to see because i felt like i was just getting depressed that i wasn't going to see them all so <laughs> i thought <laughs> i'll stop doing a list and just kind of focus on you know if things pop up i'll kind of grab them check them out and if i hear about certain things i'll, I'll kind of you know get them as soon as i can and kind of watch them but i think i'm a bit like you ken i tend to kind of like to see things after the hype's died down i feel like sometimes you can get a bit caught up in hype with especially with new films and uh and things that are coming out i like to kind of you know maybe give it six months so before i jump on it and work out kind of my own opinion on on things but yeah, yeah I, I've, try, I've tried to kind of just see you know all over really just things that
3: do, do you go out uh, do you go out to the pictures
4: I don't leave the house no I don't leave the house I was tempted to see the Irishman but two and a half hours I'm definitely gonna need two and to and get a a to the toilet half, so yeah I thought I'll wait till so obviously that that kind of hits Netflix yeah. so I still haven't caught up with that though but that's kind of yeah high yeah. on the um, high kind of on the uh, on the list to see the yeah. non-existent list to see <laughs> One of my highlights of twenty nineteen is how many enjoyable nights at the
5: movies I had more that's than cool, usual.
4: School.
5: Yeah. And I did see uh The Irishman and it was excellent. I watched it on the tube, of course, so but um, you know, Parasite. Um Jojo Rabbit I thought was amazing. Uh Once upon a time in Hollywood, I love that. Yeah. Um A lot of movies. A lot of movies I really, really enjoyed, which is you know, no Marvel movies though. I think I finally reached... (laughs) You stand with Martin Sorcee. Oh, (laughs) not necessarily, but I... Just
3: circus attractions.
5: (laughs) Well, that that could be said. I'm just sick of seeing movies where the last half hour is people shooting lasers out of their eyes at each other and things (laughs) like It's like you know, okay, sh- uh, yawn. Um, yeah, I'm just over that. You know that. You know, and then the next last forty minutes, everybody fights everybody.
3: Is it even easier to it? Is it even easier to follow that um, sort of narr- narrative through line that those movies uh, present? Never.
5: Yeah, it's unlike, you know, an old Shaw Brothers movie where, no, sometimes you can follow this either, but it's sort of the same idea. Let's get the cast together and just everybody, you know, stabs everybody and shoots everybody with their hand lightning and <laughs> pew, 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 all pew, that pew, stuff. Pew. Yeah, a lot of pew, pew, pewing going on in uh, well, it's cinema. It's not so
4: different, is it really? If you do, if you compare it to, you know, Shaw Brothers, it's it's kind of similar thing, getting everyone kind of, you know, in the pan and, and stir it up and kind of see what happens I suppose it's it's very similar right which I don't well, think is a bad thing I think Scorsese has got a lot of good points I think he's probably misquoted to be honest and a lot of people kind of hear the right, quote and probably. go what's he talking about like how can he say that but I think if you really right. listen to what he was saying I think he means that there should be room for you know, non superhero films as well. It's Absolutely, two, two different experiences. The kind of type of films I suppose he's making, and and you know, the superhero genre. But I I do think it's 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 getting a bit kind of stale yeah. for sure.
5: I think the one thing that can be learned from the success of the superhero films is the type of narrative people want, and it doesn't have to be action, action, action. It's just you know the pacing. You know, mm. um, I I think. You know, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I think that, you know, the Marvel movies do a good job of kind of like you were talking about Par- *Parasite*, where it has this incredibly intricate plot, but it really streamlines it for you. There's, yeah, yeah, I have yeah, yeah. no difficulty mm. understanding A to B with that, and I think the Marvel movies are kind of like that. You know,
3: mm. I, mean, I mean, really, you, you—it's also about. Um choice I suppose maybe not at the cinema but uh, you know if you have your streaming services then superhero movies are not your only choice you have you have, you know var- varied celluloid available at your fingertips and all of that and uh, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm not personally into the Marvel stuff and superhero movies because it, that noise doesn't appeal to me uh, for the reasons uh-huh. that you just said Todd that it really doesn't give me a give me anything necessarily to have yeah. that kind of action. And yeah. uh, and I enjoyed them for a bit. Uh, I watched maybe up until the first Avengers movie many years ago and then I was probably like, I, I don't really need this anymore. It was okay, but I don't really need this anymore. Um, yeah. But... Um, and and being living in a small town i don't get that much varied you know cinema schedule if you will like it's only the biggest movies so i don't go out that much so essentially the only thing i saw at the cinema this year was yesterday the the sort oh of what, what, what oh, happens yeah. if the Beatles go away movie and I enjoy that perfectly fine even though it doesn't set the world on fire or transforms uh, your world but I I enjoy that perfectly fine in a sort of Richard Curtis kind of way and that makes sense because he wrote the damn thing so uh-huh. yeah, so, uh, yeah uh, I
5: would give that I'd give that movie an A plus for concept but it doesn't really live up to the concept there's so much more they could have done with that
3: yeah
2: probably
5: but you know I like the idea. Of it, you know, so and it,
3: it was good enough—not uh not good enough, but uh, in terms of uh, the music, was uh, exhilarating enough to a point. Well, I'll, I'll pick up that soundtrack. It was pretty cool to hear, like punk rock versions of Help, for instance. I thought that was kind right. of neat. Yeah, yeah, that
5: was neat.
3: Uh, so that was essentially the only thing I saw at the cinema this year. So, uh, like to, to, to make top 10 lists of uh, current movies, uh, I've, I don't think I've seen many because my, my, my focus. Ken, you're as tem- boring as
4: me. What's happened, man? I know. Oh, well, <laughs> I,
3: I, I like my work. I like my job work in the past. Yeah. <laughs> But, but but I don't know. Yeah yeah you have to pick and choose. Uh, I suppose. Just to, uh,
4: was, you're right. But just to, just to touch upon what you were saying about the superhero movies as well. I think what went wrong for me, which is not saying it is wrong, but what went wrong for my personal taste is that they all got very serious all of a sudden. Where yes, you mm. know, comic book, and I think I think that you know, the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns has a, has a lot on. Not Dark Knight Returns, the Dark Knight has a lot. I can't remember what the title of the film is and what the title of the comic is. The Dark Knight Returns, right, the second one. Yeah, just the Dark Knight. From there, obviously that, well, since obviously Batman Begins and then that one was the one that kind of started transforming Mm -hmm. superhero films to be kind of uber serious and uber emotional when really, you know, comic books can do that. But I think when you're kind of more emphasis on that and less emphasis on the kind of fun and the kind of scope and the kind of, you know, adventure, I think that's when they become a bit too kind of, you know, who's going to die and stuff like that. I think they become a bit too serious and
2: yeah
5: and they're
4: all kind of very similar and i think you have less fun with it because i think that first wave of marvel movies were were great and it was a really exciting time to be a you know fan and i think recently i think it's just been a lot of burnout with it but i think a lot of films are doing that as well and i think the james bond series is a really good example of that i think the last few craig films they've really tried to put or you know shove a kind of dramatic angle on there a really kind of serious angle and you know, putting kind of a backstory and a history and kind of, you know, switch it up a little bit, which is fine, but I think Do it's getting away. we care about that? Well, I, th- I think it's getting away further from the kind of simple ingredients of, you know, what right. makes, you know, the yeah. Bond, Bond films and the same with the superhero films. It's getting right. away from that, which is, you know, which is not a bad thing. It's kind of trying to spice it up a little bit, but
3: maybe with the next bond you can have the uh like erase the no fun factor and bring in a right. bond that's playful who knows but the-
5: i mean i think that's probably the problem at least with american films and american audiences everybody wants to see how sausage is made now you know everybody wants <laughs> to know everybody wants to know oh james Bond is a spy uh, uh, uh okay but where was he born and what are yeah. his childhood and traumas what are and his hobbies we, right and, <laughs> and can we meet you know his butler and all you know who cares <laughs> and it's like the remake yeah. you know you know the remake of halloween where they all go really back into let's
4: let's yeah, you know, really delve yeah. Into i went to cinema thing. to see that there you go there's one i saw at the cinema ken there you go uh-huh. we're, we're, we're one we're one for one now we're one for one now. Yeah. Was that this year? <laughs> I can't remember. I can't no, remember Yeah, I felt either. the same way, Todd. Yeah. Yeah. They, I felt the same way as Todd. They, they tried to kind of, yeah, put too much of a backstory and, and it just, they got away from the elements that were initially put in place, right. the thriller elements, the kind of, right. you know, what really made the first couple of films powerful. Um, you know, they kind of got away from that and it was more about kind of a backstory and kind of an emotional angle. Like I've, I've, I've heard that it's the same thing about you know the Terminator films as well. The last couple have tried right. to kind of make this backstory that's kind of unnecessary, and I think some things are better left unsaid. Really, you know, I
5: do too. In, in do all too. kind of art, really. Totally. I mean, I don't need. A, I I think a monster is more threatening if we don't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah, very,
4: very right. Yeah,
3: I'm sure Gamera had some childhood trauma. Whatever <laughs> exploration.
4: but well, he, he must be hanging around with Steven Seagal's daughter. Yeah. <laughs>
3: time is an issue and lack of interest in most new releases for me but uh, hey i'll i'll uh, i'll keep an eye out for maybe you know stuff that interests me and the irishman is one such thing it's pretty cool that they did it did it for netflix and it's cool that they gave him total freedom and it's cool that we're now technically at the point where the de-aging seems to be accepted because i i remember when they they had the most advanced tools at their disposal, and then they made Run Two or whatever, and it looked so creepy. Is that supposed uh-huh. to be Jeff Bridges? Come on! <laughs> and now the we're worst at- one
4: was the one in uh terms of <coughs> salvation with Arnie, when they put his face onto the uh, onto the T eight hundred. In terms of salvation, do you remember that? It just looked yeah. bizarre. I
3: I heard it was better at least than Tron, but maybe the, still weird, the, very weird. But but the uh, the Irishman seems to be, have been accepted for its de aging uh, trickery going on here. So.
5: Yeah, He mm. didn't do that much on uh, De Niro actually, which is a little weird. You kind of you know it asks you to suspend your disbelief because they're always he obviously is like fifty year old De Niro. And they're calling him, hey, kid, come over here, you know, and you just kind of have to go with it. Another movie I really like this year is Good Boys. I don't know if anybody saw that, but it was one of a few films that were kind of like super bad, but with girls. This is super bad, but with 12-year-olds. And it's about these three friends who are just entering... Um, junior high school, and they feel they have to, you know, become hardened teenagers. You know, they have to have all these experiences before they do. So they cram it all in to like a couple days. And if you like, if you enjoy watching really foul mouthed children, which I do, (laughs) it's excellent because there's like just so much. Bad, bad language and ridiculous behavior. And the funny thing is, the kids are actually good, go- good boys. They're kind of sweet and naive. So seeing them do these things is kind of funny. I give it a thumbs up.
3: Yeah, I, I, I remember there the, were like, like that Superbad comparison. They survived that. I mean, uh, Booksmart was even uh, compared to Superbad, and and that movie survived that critically.
4: Yeah, well. mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because didn't Seth Rogen write this one as well or produce I it? I think something? yeah, he produced
3: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's why. way he was in the red band trailer as Seth Rogen, the producer, to- talking to a kid saying that, "Have some bad news. You can't watch the trailer that you're in. That's <laughs> fucked up. That is fucked up. You can say that, but you can't watch yourself say that." <laughs> They're like, fuck you. <laughs> Welcome <Yeah>. to Hollywood. <laughs> You know, because we release this podcast, we record them way in advance and then they come out whenever they come come out. We never talk of like current things or what we're doing here, what kind of projects we have going on. So we've merely sort of been promoting and teasing the fact that me and Paul Quinn uh, were were on and are on a Blu-ray on the Facebook group and all of that and been, uh, uh, been promoting uh, release dates and so forth. But we haven't really talked about why that happened in the first place and uh, why it's why is it even acceptable that this happened you made fun of (laughs) korean cinema once ken
6: yeah you're gonna you're gonna be paying for the rest of your life i i i i I know people
3: no paul i've been paid (laughs) that's the thing (laughs)
4: he's finally done it well (laughs) done well
3: but, but uh, so just to state, uh, who, for someone who doesn't uh, know, uh, the label Macabre... Everybody
4: Carb- knows, don't no, they? No, no. you guess. sold out, man. You sold
3: out. Finally, finally, we are all processed. <laughs> get <Getting> paid. <laughs> so we were. I mean, the Monday Macarthur sort of relationship started way earlier because you, Paul, were you worked on one of their releases um, before. Woman chasing the butterfly of death came out you 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 provided interview questions for a prior release or did you provide some input re- research input and so forth
6: No, it it, it started out. Uh, Jared from Mondo got in touch with me when they were releasing a film called. As, as with loads of Korean cinema, the the translations vary, and Jared always picks just one of them. Uh, suddenly at night or suddenly at midnight, um, which was sort of a you know quite well known horror, even though it didn't do that well. Yeah, you know it's, it's quite famous. And he got in touch with me and he said, look, I'm trying to put together these names, but everybody writes Korean names differently and right. they're spl- spelt slightly differently in one place than another and the hyphens are not. And he said, would you put together what you would have them as?" So I did that and he said, right, well look, now I know who you are. Do you want to put some interview questions together? So I did that and he seemed happy with it and the interviews went on in Korea. So whenever they were releasing Killer Butterfly, he got in touch again and said, I- I'd like you on this DVD. Do you want to do an interview? And I just went, no, the, how boring would that be? I wouldn't even want to watch it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I said, you know, uh, it would be much nicer to sort of do a commentary of sorts, but I wouldn't want to do it on my own. And uh, he at that point said, "Well, you know, he follows our What's Korean Cinema podcast." And at that point, he just said, "Well, I think it would be good if we got Kenny to do it as well. I think that would work." And it went from there.
3: Yeah, it's kind of um, it's kind of fun, a fun process to be part of because so much of it is you you're working from within your your own individual bubble and our process putting together that commentary was not a whole lot different versus the process of putting a podcast together which is why it didn't feel that different I guess until we recorded it and so certainly now that it's out it's starting to feel different but it really still was challenging to a degree we had a fair amount of past research on the career of the director Kim Ki-young because we did an episode on his classic The Housemaid
5: a Killer Butterfly is a movie very worthy
6: of commentary, I must say. It's difficult to do. I, 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 oh, I love it. I, I love think. I think movie. it's really. I think it needs it. I think it. You know, it, it's so off the wall that if there yes. isn't something to keep you going, whether whether people listen to it all or not doesn't matter. But just yeah. to hear what someone else's opinion is, because that's all it is. It's just opinion because it's so. It's not a film where
5: someone was trying to be weird. It's a film that's just weird, you know. And,
3: and, and it's hard to sell it because it's so much at the same time. So that's why I just rattle off content when I talk <laughs> about it. It's got butterflies, suicide, pastry, cancer, melodrama, well, yeah. talking skeleton, <laughs> maggots. Uh, uh, I co- mean, in my colors, review of
5: it, I, I spent like the first two or three paragraphs just describing the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It's amazing. And when I reviewed it, I, it was called Woman After a Killer Butterfly, and I should have considered that there's probably a better translation of that. So what is it, what are they calling it now?
3: Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death. The,
6: woman the Chasing. Mo- the, the one that I was aware of first and I've seen more than any other is Woman Chasing a Killer Butterfly, and that's the one I always stuck with. Um, okay, that makes more sense. But, you know, there are so many. There's there's woman with the butterfly tattoo. There's a woman chasing <laughs> the butterfly of death. You know, uh, the, the, three the, women the, and a butterfly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a skeleton, <laughs> you know, go into a bar. Um, so, you know, there, there there are just so many. I think Jared picked it because of the word death in it.
3: it, it it's an evocative title, but uh, it, it really is hard to nail down, you know, what, what this movie is. And we, we did our best to sort of mix biographical notes and me doing what I always do on the podcast and ask you questions uh, but, but, but also to mix it with our analysis which was so challenging, so challenging and so much fun at the same time because mm. you can talk for two hours and it might not have meant anything the talk nor what the movie was telling you because, because it's kind of cheeky in that regard that he's either taking it very seriously for 30-40 minutes then by the end, uh, nah I didn't mean anything of that, the end, see ya <laughs> I got your
5: money. <laughs>
6: So is it out now? I guess it is. It is. It is. Oh. It, they released it on a limited edition, you know, deluxe red oh. cover with a booklet and stuff. Um oh, okay. and they 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 all sold out. Uh, I think they. I'm not but sure, I'm how sure. Many. Ken movies, has a few copies stashed
5: away. Can's got
6: but film. you know, there there's okay. a there's a a normal version that's still around. I think Mondo have got the licensing okay. rights for it for the next seven years. So it's right. not gonna disappear. Awesome. You know, and it's just it's good to see a film that no one outside Korea, apart from people like us, have uh-huh. has really mm-hmm. has really seen and be able to get good right. access to, you know. Right.
5: So I saw but, it when you know, they were had it on uh, YouTube. When the Korean Cinema Archive put up all those films, oh, yeah. Man. they had a few yeah, Kim yeah. Ki Young films.
6: Yeah, they they did, and they've they've gradually taken them all down because a lot of them are being released on Blu Ray here, right. there, and everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's right. a there's probably my favorite, apart from the Housemaid, probably my favorites, Eo Island. Um, oh, that's a great one! Yeah, phenomenal film, and it was on cover until a couple of weeks ago, and it's just gone. So uh-huh. I I assume it's coming out somewhere or other. That seems to be the way they do. But you right. know, this there's still other stuff of his on there. Yeah. So, but you know, on a very separate thing in terms of the the commentary. For me it was exactly like a podcast because our podcast and I'm sure yours lasts a couple of hours anyway. So it was easy for me because Ken does all the work.
3: No I don't. I I ask stupid questions to the guru. Yeah,
6: Ken. Yeah, but you know the the way the way you set it up, the way you structure things, just makes it really easy because I can just sit back with with a cup of coffee and answer what you throw at me. So it yeah. just you know it was easy and fun because of your yeah. work, not not because of anything else. And it's always you know, and it was the same with the the television studio yeah. thing you know it was all about being able to do it as we do in podcasts which i yeah. wouldn't have known how to do if i wasn't doing these so yeah. you know kudos it's, to you
5: sir it's true can you make this so easy that yeah. i can literally roll out of bed into one <laughs> as i did today there you go
3: my my co-host on uh, this week in uh, the great Lord Joshua Regal, he at one point uh, before he moved the house anyway, at one point he said, "I, I do these podcasts literally laying down uh-huh. <laughs> because like I have all the questions ready and I prod him and he and he delivers while laying down." So how about that? Uh, there you go. I'll have to
5: try that sometime. <laughs> so Todd, in The Child
3: of Peach, there are energy bolts coming out of people's eyes. So what do you think about that? Well, I can lay down well, and answer kid. that question. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know what the fun thing also was? Uh, because the the major difference versus a podcast uh, was that this needed to be, uh, you know, co- cover the movie, co- cover the running time of the movie, which is uh, n- nearly two hours, uh, pretty exact. And, um, I tend to over prepare, but uh, so I was prepared to, you know do our chat one, two, three, four, five times if needed, just to see where we were in.
5: Sorry, did you comment a lot about the action on screen?
3: Uh, not a lot, actually. We I think it's a sort of 70-30% mixture of uh, talk, uh, having the discussion and then veering off into so screen-specific like, screen every now and then So you're
5: like, here's the pastry which will play a large part in the narrative That we
3: specifically commented party. on. You
5: yeah, oh, know yeah, but, pastry
6: but, machine, yeah. You know, for that, that was just to add a bit of, hopefully, entertainment, because it's... <laughs> You know, it's humongously
3: funny. Let's be honest about it. Oh, but, God. but but I was really I was really excited by the fact that we didn't need to do it multiple times. The what you heard on the on the actual disc was uh, it was our designated test run. Yeah. But but, but we treated uh. it as an actual thing. Uh, we didn't like mm-hmm. uh, do do it half-hearted or anything. And it felt the, the flow was so good, and it felt so good, and we got through all our notes. Did some bonus notes as well. And covered the two hours pretty much exactly without having to do filler or describing yeah, yeah. the action. And it and I, and I said to Paul afterwards, I think that's it. I think that's it. I, I don't think we need to do nice. that again. That felt mm, like. Nice. Uh, the best we can do. We can probably be better, but I was prepared for the fact that we we are gonna have to do a couple of takes on this and maybe yeah, paste yeah. it together or whatever. So I was really proud of the fact that that pre- preparation panned, uh, you know, uh, it panned out and uh, you know, the regular podcast preparation, but for the sake of a timed commentary. So um, it was really nice, and the response has been. Pretty uh, pretty exhilarating, actually, because some reviewers do take time to sample the commentary and write one or two sentences about it. That's perfectly fine, and some uh, some simply don't, which is kind of lazy. But <laughs> some <laughs> you know some big sites they think they they think uh, they can just list content, which is not a yeah, review, review, by the way. So, uh, but people have been really nice, and and also. The participation from Paul extended to the uh, video interviews you, you did, did you provide interview questions for for all the participants of a or just for the female liwashis
6: no i did I did the interviews for all everybody that's on the disc there's there's Washi and then there's other directors and producers that were linked to Kim ki young. I did all those. The only one I didn't do was um they did a an interview with Darcy Packett um, who was, you know, the first big Korean cinema reviewer. He really started it, the whole thing. They did an interview with him um, because he, got, he won an award for his contributions to Korean cinema, and they put those things together. But I think that was more a personal sort of interview, whereas the, the others, they, they sort of wanted to talk about Kim Ki-young and, you know, careers and stuff. So...
3: I mean, it's not easy to get like making off notes on this particular movie, and uh, and even though those interviews were were more broad in subjects uh, rather than just about women chasing a butterfly of death, but uh, it was really nice to see that that they got so many people, including including her uh, Li Washi, uh, because she, so she makes right. you know obviously makes a memorable uh, impact uh, in that particular movie playing the skeleton lady, if you will.
6: You know, what I mean. Admittedly, somebody else did the actual interview process, you know, in Korea. You know, it, from my point of view, I was I was just so, as you say, exhilarated that I'm thinking, you know, here she is, and she's answering my questions. That's cool. I like it. I like yes. it. You know, s- self-serving as it may be, you know, she's mm. she's a lovely elderly lady who is just as beautiful as she was back in the day. Oh, look, I'm getting obsessed again. Sorry.
5: Paul, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a, a Korean cinema question for you. This is something I've always been w- wondering about. I've heard about, like, in the 70s, there were these spy movies that were very propagandistic. Yeah. And there was, I forget what they were called. There was a name for them. Have you seen any of those, or do any of those still exist? Because no. they sound very interesting. None.
6: I've, uh, I've, he- I've heard of them um i'm aware of them but none exist i mean there's uh. there's, so, there's so much stuff from the 70s and even the 80s that just yeah. became lost um, That's a shame. Shame. you know and and it, it's funny that things on certain subject matters uh-huh. seem to have been lost and i, I can't tell yeah, you why that is that. but it, yeah. it, it <laughs> makes it makes it makes you maybe scratch your head a little bit and think mm, right. really so uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm aware, but you, you're just—you're never going to find them. They just don't okay. exist anymore. I can take "never" as an answer, you know. Good, <laughs> yeah, that, that's positive.
5: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, instead of yeah, because I, you know, that you ha- you have these movies you obsess about forever, and you know, a lot of times they are lost. Yeah, totally. So,
3: and and even on that subject, uh, even watching. Uh, propaganda films, uh, whether from Japan, Taiwan, or in this case, Korea, there, there, there is a, a fascination of sorts. I think to watch how mm. o- how broad and yes. open they are with their subject of patriotism yeah, yeah. and uh, we, you know, go go us. Uh, I mean, there, there there are a couple of films on the Korean Film Archive channel, like these uh, uh, war movies uh, featuring pilots and what have you. There, they're obviously, uh, there's a purpose behind that, but it's kind of right. cool to watch for to To see how they treat that uh, that issue, or but, but also the, te- the the technical quality sometimes it's very cool to see whether they, uh, you know, how to use miniatures and uh, how they change yeah, totally. action and so totally. forth. So. And and you you realize people we, we Hong Kong nor mainland Chinese cinema has not been mentioned as such uh, here and there.
4: It's not a lot to talk about, is there? <laughs> I,
3: I, I suppose not. And <laughs> what, what what I've said to myself exactly. because I I sort of lost. Um, Both, I lost the will, but (laughs) I focused on other things, and and I said to myself, "Well, how do I get back into sort of getting an idea of what the scene is like now? How do I do it without watching 100 films?" Well. Let's like pick a movie or two from each year and see, you know, see how Johnny Toe does on the mainland and so forth, and the big directors how, how they do nowadays. I'm gonna do that at some point, anyway. But I guess uh, my spontaneous question, maybe to you, uh, Tom, uh, Ip Man four, yay or nay, or you have stopped following the Ip Man movies by now? Did Mike Ma- Did Mike Tyson break you? So like-
2: no,
4: he didn't. I actually had a really good time with uh, with the third film. I think it was a lot better than the second one. I saw that in the cinema. There you go. I'm. I'm- Two two up now, two one for cinema visits uh, this year again. <laughs> Over the last five years, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I had a lot of fun. So I'd be yeah, I'd be happy to see the fourth one. I mean, Donny's in great shape still, and I think he he looks great, and he can definitely play the part. Even though he has said that was his you know last one, and I think it kind of makes sense as a trilogy. But you know, these things make money, and and you know they're very popular, and and it man's been very popular for you know, nearly a decade now. Yeah, like exactly a decade Have those movies now. So. changed
3: rather, I've only seen the first one um, and I, I appreciated that for the dramatic narrative and uh, Wilson Yip, the director, really used Donnie well for well, those purposes. Yeah. But, but by two or three, did they change into more light and fun and not as a dour or such? Or?
4: No, I think the third one kind of got back to the kind of tone of the first one, whereas I thought the second one was kind of a bit, like silly, especially <laughs> with some of the kind of, um, especially with some of the cast and some of the kind of Guilo uh, actors in it, but <laughs> well, it did feel a bit kind of eighties kind of Hong Kong cinema in a way, but I just didn't think it really fit with the kind of aesthetic of the rest of the film being quite serious and the rest of the series being quite serious. But yeah, I think, I think the most serious of them all was obviously the grand master, um, which I saw, which, uh, you know unfortunately um like a lot of one carway films kind of left me a bit cold but it looked beautiful and 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 you know tony was obviously great in it um in the role as well very kind of look good looking film but they're mostly gone for that kind of serious yeah kind of vibe to them
3: i guess him going to america is uh, like uh, this uh, extension to the story that might make sense because if man You know, maybe did in real life. I'm not too sure.
4: There's been kind of uh, some of it's kind of uh, you know true historically true. Some of it's kind of obviously made up to be a bit more dramatic, which which is fine. So it's all it's always been like a a blend uh, of the two. I think the second one, as I say, probably got a bit away from you know historical facts and was kind of a bit more of a looser film, but. You know, it was, was not were not great, but I had a good time with it, whereas the third one kind of got back on track and continued a lot of the, a lot of the story. So, you know, I, I think they're going to keep making them as long as they keep making money. And why not? I think, you know, at the moment for me, they're, they're kind of one of the highlights of, of you know, a very kind of dull-looking kind of Hong Kong cinema landscape. To be fair.
3: And and obviously, uh, they don't have the monopoly on, on the Ip Man franchise. So, they, there's been multiple playing Man yeah playing yeah. Ip uh, Because I, I really enjoyed uh, the Anthony Wong Ip Man movie. Ip Man, Ip Man The Final Fight. Because yeah. uh, Anthony, obviously working with his uh, bestie, Herman
4: Yao... No, it was a like fifth or sixth collaboration but between the oh, two of them. They, think. They've
3: done more. I feel I, I I you know I think they've done ten by this point. I mean Untold Story, Taxi Driver, uh, Taxi Hunter and so forth. Ebola syndrome for heaven's yeah. sake. Um yeah. but but he really when Anthony is in his element when he lights up when he cares about what he's doing, he, he's really you know, class A Hong Kong actor and they took he carried that nobility of of that particular aged Ipman uh, splendidly i mean e- even the fight scene with eric Tsang, i remember was great they really yeah. conceptualized yeah. that uh, quite well i i only remember uh, anita jun's uh, role as the wife was quite underwritten uh because i really like her and it was sh- it was a shame they couldn't find uh, a greater space for her to be in that narrative but um that was a cool thing. It was an individual Ip Man film. So it was not like, uh, if you want to watch the older one, you have to watch the first three ones to understand everything we're doing here. No, it was individual. I mean, heck, even the same director did a, a young um, like um, a young Ip Man movie yeah. that uh, yeah. Yung Buu was in. He wasn't Ip Man, but Yung Buu was in it. Summer Hung was in it. So it, it seems like... Uh, it's still open season on it because it's it's a big commercial name and most of the movies seem to have generated a fair amount of buzz and a fair amount of critical acclaim rather than like oh it was made on a 10 dollar budget and it sucks so uh, you know it's a it seems like they're they they're caring to an enough extent when it comes to um comes to making it man and uh, they uh, even if donny doesn't do one anymore i'm sure I'm sure people are still gonna be interested if they announce uh, yeah. it with someone else. And they had they had a spin off with one of the characters, uh, Master Master C or Z
4: Master Z. Yeah, I didn't I did not see that one, but I've heard that's pretty good as well. Yeah, mm.
3: and Michelle Yeoh was in it, so. I can't
5: remember the last time I saw a new Hong Kong film. I think it was quite a while ago.
4: It's quite remember. sad the we're all here on podcast on fire yeah, it is. talking yeah. about this. But yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's kinda of like I was talking about before. I think there's just uh, I used to kind of be on the lookout for a lot of stuff that was coming out Wilson Yip is a director, I, I do Kind of uh-huh. uh, keep a loose eye on in terms of what he's making because I think you know for the last ten years or so he's really progressed as a filmmaker and he might be making different films than what he used to but I'm still interested in him. he makes kind of fun action films and there's not a lot of fun action films at the moment you know especially mm-hmm. in him, it seems to be a lot of kind of you know serious kind of I don't know uh, your dramas that are quite kind of dour and quite kind of odd right and there's just a strange tone to them that I still can't. Put my finger on what it is about a lot of kind of right. Hong Kong cinema that's got there that is a co-production. I don't quite, I still don't know what it is about it, but it always feels a bit odd. There's something kind of weird going on with it. I felt the same mm. about um, uh, the second SBL as well. I should, I, I really felt like I should have loved that film. Um, Simon Yam and Tony Jar and I felt like this, this is going to be amazing. And it was just this very odd piece of filmmaking uh. that I really struggled to kind of get into words because I, I was, I was kind of moved to write a review about it but just couldn't quite put into words why i felt the film was, was so odd like <laughs> it's 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 a strange it's strange sometimes film, but... it's ephemeral you know sometimes it's, it escapes. Yeah. and, and it's much.
3: really what i want to do as well because I, I i have lost so much touch with it that i don't know the hot movies, so to say the, what, what the top two movies quality wise was for a particular year so I want to get back into that a little bit I mean it's not a Hong Kong movie but it's by Hong Kong Direct and I think the most recent I saw was probably Operation Red Sea which I loved I loved Operation Red Sea it's a crazy crazy action film by Dante Lam but it's, it's, it's
4: yeah Dante I like to keep an eye on as well he's, he's making some good films still definitely for sure is he related to Ringo no oh. no I meant Ringo's
5: star. Sorry, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah.
3: But, but uh, in Operation Red Sea, speaking of Simon Yam, he has a cameo in that. Uh, and he sits down for about two minutes, and that's fantastic.
4: It. I'm told.
3: <laughs> getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, he They didn't send him to Morocco or anything like that. Like, like that, mov- uh, that movie's uh. Uh, set in morocco uh, for the majority of its time because it's a military conflict that's uh, based on a true life thing but it's really o- operation red sea is essentially it's, it's not like brain dead michael bay entertainment but it's more like blackhawk down but a l- stripped of uh, a little bit of its seriousness and it's just mm-hmm. like this uh, it's noise for two hours but it's so well done it's so well done And uh, so I really like that. It's hard to differentiate the characters because everybody's in uniform for the entire movie and screaming like, get out, get out, watch out. Boom. (laughs) Nice. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. Awesome i have an additional thing that's almost uh, completely off topic uh, so I'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna save it for a little bit and ask if uh, paul for instance had anything else he, he wanted to share in terms of he, he, have you formed an opinion what your second favorite career movie of this year was because obviously <laughs> parasite was <laughs> the favorite one
4: <laughs> you guys watch films this year well done. yeah I, uh, yeah well, fall asleep you. halfway through most of them but yeah <laughs> you know
6: that's just because i'm old and knackered <laughs> uh-huh. um you know when when I was choosing what I wanted to talk about, obviously I had to do Parasite, but you always keep something in, in backup, and, and what I was going to say was there's a, a, a young teenage actress called Kim hyang and she she started her career in films like Threat of Lies, and it was about the suicide of a young girl, as many Korean films are, um, but she her, her career has been getting better and better and better. Um, as I say, she's, she's only 19 and she's done two films this year. Both were quite small, but her performances made them absolutely exemplary, aside from anything else. Um, there are films called Youngju, which is about a young girl who searches out, tries to search out the, the people who were responsible for killing their parents and another film film called Innocent Witness with uh, Jung Woo Sung about an autistic girl who witnesses a murder and uh, she, she's my she's my go-to girl this year. Her films have been so astoundingly good. In Young there's a scene towards the end, not to give anything away, where she's lying on the floor behind a, a sort of a veil and she overhears a conversation from two other characters. <clears throat> and she, she She lies there still for seven and a half minutes, and she does not blink, she does not flinch, and I I re-watched it like ten times to make sure it hadn't just been frozen and turned to a still, and it isn't, because there's (laughs) stuff moving around her you can see a fly flying past and I I just I, I was so speechlessly astounded that she just was paralytic, if you like she was just so still and then it, it goes and that's, you know, it, it's the most memorable scene, but it's it's not referenced again at all. And you just think she is so incredible and she's so young. So, you know, the, her films for me this year are, are the ones that I would recommend to anybody who can see them. Young Jew and Innocent Witness. Awesome.
3: Actually, I actually forgot to ask something in regards to uh, the Oscar bus that also is surrounding Parasite. Do, do you gather it's greater in sort of volume and style versus when The Handmaiden was considered for, for nomination but never never ever got the nomination for Best Foreign Film? Because I, I I gather they're talking about putting Parasite possibly in the regular Best Picture category as well.
6: Yeah, wow. there, there, there has been talk i think i think it'll it'll eventually it it's gonna win i'll i'll bet any of you whatever money you like it's it's gonna win but it'll win best foreign film because it 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 opens up the normal film for something else um but but the buzz in terms of its likely success is you know it's through the roof compared with the handmaiden when the handmaiden looked like it was it it was in with a chance i think we even spoke about it kenny i, I you know i was convinced it wouldn't get it but because... i bet
3: <laughs> am i tired <laughs> it's gonna be nominated that's what we said no just kidding <laughs> i know, love so... the
5: handmaiden but it was um maybe a little more um contemplative in its pacing i think i would say that, that The other film we're talking about (laughs) uh, has *Parasite*. *Parasite*. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, It has a better chance, but I don't think it'll win. I think I think you're right that they'll probably give it a a token award and keep to keep the uh, best picture field open. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. for white people. <laughs> but what, but what, you know, culture, the best yeah.
3: picture field is so open. They nominate like eight films uh, nowadays. Right. So it, yeah. ba- back, in the, back in the day, it was just uh, like four films or whatever. And they, they really picked and choose, it seemed like, in a way. Back in the day, the movies or the actresses or the crew that were, you know, meant for a particular category. Now, everybody gets nominated. You get a nomination. You get a nomination. <laughs> so so I don't know. But it, it's cool uh, that... Um, and and hopefully also true that it is really being considered in that way and not just uh, articles uh, that are... Making up stuff, you know, just to get clicks or whatever. But uh, it's it, really picking I, up steam.
4: It's but it's, it's I think it's got a higher. It's the the most highest rated fictional movie on Letterbox now. I think I recently mm-hmm. just read. So it's rated above The Godfather wow. and several other films. So it's really gaining momentum, especially within. I think Letterbox is, is, is a you know a site where a lot of kind of serious film fans kind of right. hang out and, and and you know put reviews and ratings on there. And that's really kind of gaining momentum with them as well. So if anything, even if, it, if it doesn't get a lot of you know well it, it's got a taste of kind of the commercial uh, success even if it doesn't i think it's going to be a really big kind of cult film and uh, you know in the, in the ensuing years for sure
6: totally and it, and it does have to be said that as of this point now uh, in terms of the us and canada it is now the most successful foreign film ever released it's crazy the States. Uh, so crazy. so i i don't see how it cannot win it, 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 it you know it. it normally i'm really negative about these things because i think everybody hates korean cinema apart from me but i, I <laughs> that's don't, not true I, no we hate I, hong kong cinema more yeah <laughs> ahead, you've, have the podcast <laughs> <laughs> i i i don't think it can fail i don't i really don't i i as i say, i'd lay money that it, it'll win
4: the best foreign picture i really hope so. i really hope so it would you would, would put a massive spotlight on it if it you know if it did
3: when is it uh being um uh... Because for for once we're doing a podcast that's going to be released uh, on a particular day, twenty third of December. Where are we in terms of UK release by this point on disc and or cinema pool?
6: Uh, it's that's really from my point of view really interesting as well. Um, Curzon Artificial Eye, who runs the the Curzon cinema chain in in the UK, that they bought the rights to it. They also had the rights to the Handmaiden, and they gave it you know a a good month and a half's run etc cetera, et cetera. Um they were originally set to release it in October and then the success started to happen and they moved it till to, to the 7th of February which is right in between the BAFTA awards and the Oscars so you can guarantee that they're convinced it's going to win an Oscar and that's why they're releasing it in between there so that they can get more money from more people ah, knowing about so it'll it. Be so, next,
4: it'll be next year, then it? early next year. I'm assuming. Yeah, it, it's it's released for
6: a sixteen week cinema run on the seventh of February, which is yes. the 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 biggest again the biggest um theatrical release of a Korean film in the UK so far. And then from there, it'll be you know
4: however long after that, it'll be Blu-ray and DVD. That's awesome. Groundbreaking times we're living in, fellas. You
6: know, yeah. that, that, I saw actually a post from Mondo Macabro's Jared when, you know, it hit the 11 million mark and he just said, you know, the the year Korean cinema reached international masses. And he's right. You know, you can talk yeah. about, you can talk about old boy, you can talk about whatever, you can talk about The Handmaiden, The Host, uh, nothing to this. this is, yeah. Korean cinema has now become international more than it ever was before.
3: And he is also the name of it. It's not like Bong Joon Ho drowns in this uh, this excitement and this attention. Uh, Bong Joon Ho is the name for Parasite, kind of. So, so I'm really mm. glad that the filmmaker is getting the, the sort of spotlight as well. Because it's easy when when the wheels start grinding that so, some things get drowned out. But uh, really, so like- I mean, in Korea, you you can probably promote. Uh, the film solely by saying a film by Bong Joon-ho and Money, Money, Money. Yeah. And, uh, but internationally, I think, uh, you know, and, and maybe it's been dis- established via the host and, uh, Snow and and I don't know, but, uh, or Okja, for, for that matter, but it, it certainly seems like, you know, Bong Joon-ho is getting recognition as the name and as the face, just like Park Chan-wook was the name and the face of those movies. And all very,
6: very much um, so. BAFTA, the, the British Association of Film and Television Arts, um, are currently doing a director series of lectures
3: oh um, that's what we are doing director series on this show there you go <laughs> um,
6: you, you know and usually they'll they'll be you know yeah they've had before but mostly it's western or you know blah 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 um, this year they've got bong joon ho in i think it's on the 12th Given a lecture at bafta and then a load of screen, pre-screening screenings of the film. Um, So, you know, he's being, he's being brought into everything and it's great to see. You can tell I'm really excited about this, can't you? You know, I'm like a kid, kid with a lot of You know, so good on him. You know, he, he deserves everything. He probably deserves it more than Park Chan out the film.
3: Uh, Well, 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 Uh, I I just have one more item that we started talking about books and I wanted to sort of half end this by talking of, uh, what I'm currently reading because uh, I'm proud of myself when I pick up a book and actually read it. <laughs> Good for you, Ken. <laughs> uh, but, but it's, uh, so, so it's connect, uh, It does connect to cinema at all, actually. Uh, but we it connects to music music because I use my ears uh, uh, to listen to music as well.
4: I think that's what you're supposed to do. I think you so, just yeah. You smell those. I, I, and, yeah.
3: I, I understood that this year. It, like, stu- like p- 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 Putting my finger on the iPod, it, it really didn't help in terms of picking up the noises. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I still have an iPod. I said iPod. Yeah. Uh, but uh, w- what I'm reading, and I, I had it on my shelf uh, for a year, uh, it's a book called Songs and Words by Ginger Wildheart. Todd knows who Ginger Wildheart is. He's yeah, a, I did, he's, a, he's, a, he's a solo artist. He's a lead singer and guitarist of the Wildhearts this was a book that was um, on it was a campaign a few years ago on pledge music pledge music doesn't exist anymore because uh, that all went tits up um, there was some criminal stuff behind that fact so, uh, behind that site so it just closed down uh, but but they did a pledge campaign for the book that also included a dvd with the filmed spoken word and slash acoustic show based on stories from the book. And, and it's kind of a hefty coffee table style book that is part biographical, but really it, it it's his story surrounding the creation of specific songs and the albums uh-huh. that he did with the Wild Hearts and other side projects. And kind of where he...
5: And hello, what's his latest man called something... Hey, hello! That's right? right, that's right. I, okay. I
3: don't. Uh, d- this book covers uh, essentially from ni- early nineties till 2011-12 um, circa. So, hey, hello, isn't in the book actually? Uh, but uh, because that's what a second book is for, <laughs> you know. Right. Totally um, like a- but it really, you know, it's it's sto- it's part biographical, but also it's it's framed as you know stories about the creation of the songs and the albums and where where he was sort of. His mindset were at the time, you know, in terms of health, dealing with record companies. The,
5: I imagine what drugs he was taking. Comes oh boy, into it's it. an excess <laughs> of drugs, like yes, you read about. Yes.
3: And he, but he's still alive, ladies and gents. Yes, is he's, uh, he's, he, he's maybe not in good mental health, uh, but he struggles with that. But uh, the the drugs are behind him and all of that. And it, it's really a neat book because you you pick up, uh, you know, the chapter. Oh, it's a chapter on this uh, album and these songs, but. It's a mixture of you know stories surrounding it and stories creating the songs as well, which makes it very easy to uh, to absorb and all of that. And uh, it, I, I, I thought I'd share a few minor things because each chapter is um, starts with a little like tease of what to expect. In this chapter, you're going to read about this and this and this, and you're and it's crazy the types of things he just casually mentions to us before each chapter. So, so I thought I'd just. Uh, read a few of those little thing uh, sentences or sentence that precedes a chapter. So, so for instance, in the prologue, which is the prologue to the first like EP that the Wild Hearts did, uh, it starts like this. Uh, so prologue, where I will be fired from the choir boys, receive wisdom from Sharon Osborne. Osborne contemplate suicide, just discover crack, see a UFO, form <laughs> the Wild Hearts, and sign a r- major record deal.
4: Sounds like a normal Sunday afternoon. Yeah, right. That and that's just Tuesday. Yeah, at least seven of eight of those things happened to me today.
3: <laughs> and all of that happened too. So. <laughs> and then when you go onto like the one of the latter chapters for the latter albums, uh, so uh, it says here: where a fire, CJ, his guitarist, almost kill Rich, his drummer, go to war with East West Records, nearly lose an arm, buy a horse, and help get it inseminated, kill a tramp, and set fire to the Chelsea Hotel
6: as you do <laughs> all right, there you go <laughs> nice they were in
3: uh, new york shooting a a music video on uh, on a flatbed truck uh, going all around new york and they were lip syncing to a particular video and while in new york they uh, i mean the tramp story almost deserves a, a minor read but they didn't kill the tramp but they kind of did uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's see here uh, we also inadvertently assisted in the death of a bum a lovely chap to whom we chatted every day, it transpired he wasn't homeless after all. One day it was the fellow's birthday, so we chipped in a decent amount of cash in which he promised to spend on hookers and coke. How were we to know that he had an apartment and a partner who would find him at home with the girls? Asking his whereabouts the next day, we discovered his partner had set fire to their place and he was the only one who didn't it. make it out alive so they kind Ouch. of them. <laughs> so that's uh, so that, that's a little story
2: now will um, you me-
5: promise us you'll use this money for hookers and coke <laughs> Otherwise. it's the
3: kind of mindset they were in but they were uh. always so creative though so it was not right. like they didn't produce uh, uh, i mean the drugs and alcohol fuel a lot of the cre- creativity behind the wild hearts but uh, uh, so, furthermore, when he did, he was in a, um, he had a solo project called Silver Ginger 5 uh, l- later towards the end of the decade, uh, 1999, 2000. So, here it says before the chapter where I will do time in notorious Thai jail, the Bangkok Hilton, move back to London, quit drugs again, refuse to leave Japan, sign a big management deal, get the girl, make her pregnant, and take up drugs again.
6: Nice. There oh, yeah.
3: you go, nice yeah. priorities.
5: priorities so it ties it all in up
3: order. in a nice bow, yeah. exactly. And <laughs> and and it really is the theme behind some of those chapters, like I quit drugs, then I took them up again. But uh, nowadays, I think it's just alcohol, essentially, uh, uh, but not an addiction to it. And the final, final sort of uh, pre chapter little centers because I, I was around at the time in terms of supporting his pledge music campaign, the first one he ever did. He he was essentially at a crossroads where he thought, I, I need to get a Proper job because music I can't sustain sustain this music as a living. So what do I do? And he was approached by Pledge Music, who weren't big at the time, and he essentially was their first major record-breaking campaign. It was funded in like under an hour, and it kept on going and going. And he he got to produce a triple album solo project called Five Hundred and Fifty Five Percent because that's where when he wanted the the, prayer the campaign to stop at 555 five, five, because five is his lucky number. So that was the mm, name of the album. That's awesome. Holy moly. Uh, and, and really, it's, it's heartwarming to read this pretext before the actual chapter um, because uh, I it's he, he survived all of this and got to this point where he could still sustain uh, sustain and make, uh, make a living doing music. So where I will leave Michael Monroe's band, he played guitar. Upon getting a real job, have my life saved by the fans, work with my favorite people in the world, and enter into the greatest revelation of my life so far that I am meant to make music. Nice. It's, it's really, nice. He, he's never had to worry about that since even though a lot is a struggle you know, mentally and uh, Hey Hello for instance kind of uh, went tits up and haywire in terms of lead singers and all of that but you know it, There uh, is
5: a different singer on each album.
3: Yes, that's right. Well, they did one, and then they did a second with the new singer. That singer left, so they re-recorded the second with multiple singers. So, wow. So crazy. I
5: uh, the, I like Ginger Wildheart as a songwriter because he proves, you know, again and again, all you need are three chords yeah. and a guitar. <laughs> and and there's his songs have real variety to him but they're all like these three chords kind of punky rock songs about yeah. drugs it it's impressive to me
3: he he really never set a restriction on himself genre-wise as well which is why i wanted to read one final thing that i just wasn't of because he realized uh, even in the 90s that if he wanted to put pop and rock into one track su- sweet pop and heavy rock you know that mm-hmm. and even metal then he should be able to do that, but I was always met with resistance. So, at the end of one chapter, that's in the middle of uh, in the middle of making the second album, so it's a while ago now. He he said at the time that I learned a lot of lessons from this painful period in my life. The most important was to never compromise and never chase trends. That's why they never became successful, I guess. <laughs> uh, both of the ideals of those destined to be led dominated and ultimately disappointed. Since then I've stuck to my guns when all around have pleaded with me just to play ball. As such I've strode out in front often with no one behind me but I'd rather plow through a lonely furrow than see nothing but the backs of guileless, shameless and spineless followers. At least the view is better. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> wow! Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> so nice. I, I'm
3: enjoying that read. I don't, I'm not sure you can get the book commercially because it was on Pledge Music, but if you can find it, it's a it's a it's a lovely read and uh, not not like harrowing for the sake of it. He just sort of casually says, "Say that. Well, during that album, we smoked a ton of crack. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and and they all lived. There were no overdoses as, as such uh, with this uh, with this band or the, the evolving sort of lineup. Uh, so yeah. All
5: good. Well, Ken, that reminds me that I had something else I wanted to mention. That is, I had some
3: crack to smoke. (laughs) I have some crack to share.
5: This is tangentially related to the subject of getting paid or paid, as you might say. Um, (laughs) And it's also uh, very much related to my, you know, self promotion. But one of my highlights of this year is I actually made a pretty good, good, got a pretty good sized check. For my one of my creative endeavors, for like the first time in my life, in that CBS uh, is gonna pay a good chunk of money to use 50 seconds of a song by an old band of mine in a show that they're one of their streaming shows, which is a true crime series called Interrogation
3: dum-dum-dum, low-and-order soundstage.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a song that I wrote. This is a record I put out probably 30-odd 30, 30 years ago. It came out in 1981. It was by a band called B-Team that I was in. And we uh, have recently come into our old, old masters, So we, and also all the masters of another band I was in called The Naked Into, and we signed a publishing deal with a company called uh light in the attic records in seattle and they've been really they've been really uh pressing them so we've we've got that we have a a scoop it was good money and i was like thank goodness you know it's very exciting so i just wanted to share thank
2: Thank
4: you you very much that's
3: so cool that's so cool that's really cool you're you're both patient, but like those uh, that deals sort of paid off. They were uh, they were making they, they were making the catalog sort of exposed, and people could find it and look it up for 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 I the mean, purposes that's of the, the show.
5: Thing about this internet age, you just put stuff out there, and it's out there, and you never know what's going to happen. Maybe nothing, or maybe something like this. You know, and it was <laughs> you know, interesting to go through your archives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, you know, it's interesting because they tell you, they send you a letter, they tell you what the show is, and they have to tell you. And the description was like, Nick comes out of the courthouse and gets into his Mustang. Charlie expresses... Uh, trepidation over what he might have said to the police. So I'm assuming that our song is going to be playing on the car radio or something like that. I'm not Still sure. 50 and seconds
3: like a, yeah. well, maybe 10 seconds during some driving but they, they're, they're going to give you 50 seconds. Right. So it, all, it almost sounds like uh, you're going to be the montage song or something
4: oh a second song <laughs>
5: yeah exactly, exactly um and then the rest is just studio noise the way to make money is write those kind of pensive cold play sounding ballads that they always play over the last scene as everybody's looking pensively out the window you know watching <laughs> children play that ends every drama series ever and then that's that's that what's good like- yes yeah. yes exactly
4: that's crazy. That's crazy. But,
3: but you, good. you, good you uh you, you you uh found a formula that many years ago. You know what I mean? Like uh, when you did that song. Like uh, you had a formula in place. It just uh, time needed to catch up. This
5: the song is kind of an art punk kind of gang of four song. So I guess that yeah, I guess that's now I don't know about this. I'll I take the money I regardless. Ask. I'll just, regardless. <laughs> just Just pay me and I'll fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good attitude to have. It's yeah. a healthy attitude. Yeah, I think so too.
3: Well, uh, that, that's lovely to hear. So I'm very happy to hear that. So uh, please, uh, please share when the show is on. Uh, whenever it's on.
2: Oh, so I mean,
4: will. the money. There now I was like, Ken, come on, man. I need <laughs> to have some crack. Right, I'll buy you all the you know crack. And oh, like he, beautiful! Yeah. Very kind of you, man. It's all I wanted you, for Christmas. You'll never want for crack.
3: <laughs> you, you're gonna have to put your uh, your head on like that steel from Scarface. Uh, often now that you're famous, si- si- sitting right. in front of ma- top b- of the big world pints, ma. Yeah. pints of uh, Coke or whatever. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's
4: awesome. That's, that's awesome. A, this is what the
3: publishing deal gets you, kids. Crazy. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm very happy to hear that that was a nice, uh, nice uh, or cheery way to end the Christmas special yeah. I suppose oh, uh, really? but I wanted to just uh, briefly say uh, thank you for the support this year everybody who listened and for everyone who participated as co-host and co-producer which you guys all did I value your contributions uh, highly and then some because uh,
4: without you there is no show so thank you Todd, thank you Tom, thank you Paul Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you, it's Kelly. It's been a pleasure to
3: be here, as, as per usual. Uh, I've I probably reduced production a bit on the podcast in order to balance everything I want to do creatively. You know, it, it is a hobby, but I still treat it you know, seriously. So, so, so I want to balance the podcasting with the writing and the researching. Like now I, I tend to spend my time a lot on writing larger pieces on... Genre classics from Hong Kong that also acts as research pieces because there's the, because they contain numbers and facts and f- things that I might need to look up for for other endeavors. So they they act as. Yeah, like exercises to do extended sort of essays on movies but also they contain some f- facts and numbers that are good to have stored mm. uh, so i'm doing that and that, that takes a while like i've been going through kung fu uh, kung fu and so- uh, kung fu and sword play <laughs> classics i've been going through oh, nice. kung flu yeah <laughs> i've had
4: terrible, terrible to get, rid of, that. Terrible to get rid of that honestly
3: that's a great idea for a movie or not. Like Kung Fu. I, I can't be bothered to fight. I can't be bothered to fight. I got the Kung Fu.
5: We have a guy who throws like vaccine needles, like, uh, you know, throwing stars.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I can't participate in this fight. I have a doctor's note.
3: Yeah, <laughs> like, like like that that movie is like tw- twenty minutes shorter than your regular martial arts movie because there is no end fight because the guy has kung flu. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's like sixty minutes, great, we're out. You <laughs> set a
4: good example there. I mean, you know, work hard for fifteen years and you get yourself a uh, Blu-ray commentary. Work we'll hard for another 15 years. You know, a lazy disc blurb or something. You know, it's incredible. They <laughs> are right. kids. Hold on to your dreams, kids.
3: I was disappointed that, uh, that Mondo didn't press uh, a laser disc of uh, woman chasing <laughs> no. about the fly. Yeah, but... I
5: can, I can tell, yeah hold out. You'll get your own public access series any day now. <laughs> I don't even know if they have that in Sweden. They probably do. Maybe so. Maybe so. I'm sure there's
3: local stations. Yeah. Um, And also, I may record shows way in advance before them being available, but it's really a a cushion I'm comfortable with to have shows that are produced that I can put up if I'm doing something else uh, at the same time. Yeah. And and really, when I look at that roster of shows that are done that involves you guys, I, I am immensely proud of the fact that we got... We, we did these and uh, had the intent of like providing background and context even for the goofiest stuff. And it's really what I want to hear as a listener. And that's why I produce mm-hmm. them the way I do. But uh, I, I don't want to overwhelm listeners either. So that's why I currently roll out these shows at, at a pace of like two a month. But mm-hmm. I change my mind often. You need to renew your uh your like thinking and uh your structure to your creativity so you know it, it it's uh, it's the current sort of pattern but um uh, regardless uh, i i just want to say uh, thank you and give you guys a little insight and uh show my appreciation because it is christmas after all so
4: any other time of the year you wouldn't do it but christmas you know you feel obliged to which is which is good hardcore
3: cynical 99 percent of
4: the year <laughs> right back at you Kenny. right back at you
3: thanks man well, well I I like for instance that big Autumn's Tale show that we did that uh, is not out yet. I was really proud of that because I I ha- I did that show solo, but it had only like a tenth of the research that mm. we we, uh, we put in tons more in the show because he, because we found more, found more making off notes on that particular did, movie. Yeah, did, so yeah. that that made it so much more fun and also to to to, uh, to banter with you and all of that. So so looking forward oh, to Of course, man. I had a great time as well.
4: Yeah, looking forward to people hearing it. I think it was uh, one of our best.
3: You know, on the upside of in terms of Hong Kong, if we're going to say something good about Hong Kong, say Yeah, not. stay
4: something positive. Come on. Spotcast on fire. Let's do what it. has
3: happened this year is for some reason, one company or, or two companies, uh, cooperating, CN Entertainment and uh, Maya, they've started to put out catalog titles on DVD and Blu ray. And not just known titles. I mean, we got like charming romantic comedies like uh, "Now You See Love, Now You Don't," but also we had, you know, obscure comedies like "King of Stanley Market" with Richard M. "Men Behind the Sun Two and 3 are on Blu-ray. Ah, oh boy. And, and s- someone is taking a big financial risk to put out catalog titles in you know better versions than uh, than prior DVD or prior VHS or VCD, obviously. And I don't know where they're getting. The sort of financial balls to do this but they're doing it, it's coming out like two or three a week like boom, Bridewood White Hair is out Chinese Feast, King of Stanley Market no one's heard of that but it's coming out, excellent
5: The nerds have won that's why
3: (laughs) (laughs) So now we have the problem of how am I going to find time to buy all of this rather than when are they going to come out
5: (laughs) When are they going to come out with a streaming network so I can see all of these you know
3: Along with 10 of my other streaming network services that I overpaid for.
2: There
5: is a martial arts network on Roku, but it's all the same old, you know, it's everything you've seen on those
4: Wu-Tang discs, you know, it's all the public domain stuff. I
6: like
5: to have as many
4: streaming services as possible so I can spend an hour on each one deciding what to watch and then not watch anything. (laughs) Yes, I I
5: do that pretty often too. (laughs) Yeah, I think we
6: all do, yeah. (laughs)
3: Like the what was it Jerry Seinfeld said once upon a time when he talked of channel surfing. What's the deal with channel (laughs) surfing? He said the last muscle of the human body that falls asleep is the button that pushes the next channel, next channel. But that now applies to streaming as well, like next selection, next selection.
2: Right.
3: Right. Right. Uh, Do 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 you have access to L Ray Network, Todd? Because they show a lot of Shaw Brothers movies.
5: Um, Not that I know of, but I haven't really scoured. You know, the available channels. So um, I may, but I don't know. I probably own all the Shaw Brothers movies that I <laughs> want to see, but that it's might a... that might not be true.
3: Well, uh, you, you own the ones that matter. So you can watch Inframan as uh, many times as oh, you can. Know, yes, yes, I can
5: watch Inframan and uh, Clan of Intrigue. As many times and have watched them as many times as I want. Bastard,
3: Dozens. Swordsman, Holy. Famed, oh God! Yes,
4: <laughs> yes. Well, the Wi-Fi is yes. down. You're going to be set up, but yeah. set up uh, exactly, exactly.
3: Uh, well, I'll leave it to you guys. Uh, any, any last words? Uh, if we throw over to you, Todd. Anything else you want to say?
5: Just uh, thanks for another enjoyable podcast experience, and uh, wishing everybody happy holidays. However, or
4: whether they celebrate,
3: that's true. That's true. Okay.
5: Yeah.
4: Very 2019. That was very 2019. I like that. Very PC. Oh, uh, okay, very well. Exactly. That happy
5: one. Kwanzaa. That. Happy Hanukkah. You know, shalom. Hashtag shalom.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's throw over to the guru, Paul Quinn. I'm gonna call the guru until uh, every day day you punch me in the face. I'm not comfortable with that.
6: We're digital. I can't reach you.
3: I'm an expert. I'm not a guru. Get it.
6: No, 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 no! I'm just a, a bloke that you get in touch with every now and again. Okay, um, yeah, <laughs> I think happy the Christmas.
5: Want Sven Gali?
6: Oh dear God! Thank oh, Nice, oh, good use of funny when I'm a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> isn't, it isn't it funny when you want a hole to open up? and swallow you it never happens it's really you know but hey and then when you don't want one you fall right into one but there you go that, right. that's,
5: there that's, it is Yeah, that's the story of my
6: life
2: <laughs>
5: well i tend
6: to walk around roadworks a lot <laughs> oh you see i don't look where i'm going you see, so you know plus i don't i don't know whereabouts in the uk you are but being in London, I you can't actually walk around roadworks because they're everywhere. Yeah, Birmingham's Saturday. so much of the same, buddy much of the same. Yeah, well, well, anyway, Merry Christmas, all! It's been a lot of fun, guys.
3: Thank you, Paul. And, okay. uh, for, yeah, for your for your enjoyable work in the, uh, on what's Korea's cinema on our commentary and. Here on the year-end show, so uh,
6: I love
4: it all, love it
3: all, and that obviously applies to Tom as well. And Tom has plenty to say about uh, Christmas year, and uh, probably has some dirty jokes as well for us. So take it away, Tom.
4: So I brought a few things down. <laughs> no, no, I just you know want to say thanks for inviting me on the show with two, you know, high rollers, very creative and interesting people, and making me look so good in the process. Um, I really enjoy Likewise. that. Ken. Cheers, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: no yeah appreciate being on the show i wouldn't want to spend you know this time with anybody else and uh happy christmas to everybody it's been a good year i think for the show and well done to all you guys and your successes uh onwards and upwards Thank i think you. it's been a been a great year for nice. all of you me not so much but there's always 2020 <laughs> <It's all> right <laughs> yeah, you've you got a full-time job let's start that working on them, that novel but, now oh, yeah should get yeah. done by the end of 2020 A Brahmi tale <laughs> no one's gonna read that. <laughs> uh,
3: well, well, well. I guess we're out. So thank you guys for uh, for uh, taking us out, uh, helping me end this year. And of course, the, uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for finally relieving me of uh, my pain and suffering. It's pain, but uh, of course, uh, if you want to hear uh, the because. Uh, 23rd of December always represents a podcast double bill and uh, this week in sleece, of course have prepared a Charlie Joe double bill this year as well so uh, at the same time as this goes up that one is also available so check that out and uh, we are at any rate uh, done for this year we'll be back early next year so I've been Kenobi and with me was the multimedia man Todd Stabman and Paul Quinn the guru expert and Tom was also here (laughs)
4: thanks for listening everybody <laughs> can I get a title next year please? can we work on, what to call you. Uh, to work on it please
3: a, a resident I don't know a resident Tom a resident Brahmi Tom I don't know <laughs>
4: That's, I you, like, need, you need to come up with something better than that I was gonna say, that sounds like if another Tom came along that was slightly more interesting you just take him which you know, just, I feel terrible about
3: <laughs> you bring expertise but I don't know what uh, tag to assign you so I don't know have to work on that. Work on and that, rate, but please. That's a sort of a, sort of a cut to, to it all. So now you can start swearing and talking like normal people
2: again.